National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis was in Canada this week on what he has called a penitential pilgrimage. His aim was to address the harm suffered by indigenous individuals and communities in Canada. The papal trip had three main stops, first Edmonton in the west, then Quebec City in the east for the Pope to meet the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and finally a visit to the remote Baffin Island community in the far north. EWTN News was able to travel with the Papal Press Corps during the trip, and the Register provided a special report from Edmonton by Colm Flynn, just before the Holy Father touched down in North America. Colm Flynn joins us here with his story. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. My co-host, EWTN News' Executive Editor, Matthew Bunsen, spoke with Colm last week. Colm Flynn, EWTN correspondent, uh, who's normally based in Europe, who typically based in Rome, traveled earlier this month to Canada in advance of Pope Francis's trip there. And Colm, great to have you here. Matthew, it's great to be on with you. And uh, what an ordeal just getting to Canada with all the uh, travel chaos that's happening in the world today. But we made it safely to Canada, and it was an incredible trip. Well, this is uh, one of those trips that uh, just a few weeks ago, many considered unlikely for Pope Francis. He canceled his trip to Africa, to South Sudan, where I know you went and did some very important reporting for EWTN News. What was the sense uh, in Rome prior to your departure for Canada about the likelihood of Pope Francis actually making it to Canada, uh, similar to your adventures of trying to get there? Yeah, that's a great question, Matthew. And I think you are right in what you are hinting in that we thought the trip would be cancelled as well because the Holy Father's trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo and to South Sudan, it had been so long in the planning and in the making uh, for then at kind of the 11th hour for it to be cancelled. We were thought we thought surely the trip to Canada would be cancelled as well as it had already been postponed because of the pandemic. And when we got there and when I was interviewing Archbishop Richard Smith of Edmonton, who was also the national coordinator for the upcoming trip to Canada, he told me the same thing. He thought when they heard of the cancellation of the African trips that for sure the trip to Canada would be cancelled. So he expressed to me and the camera crew his uh, shock and surprise and delight when he got the green light and the confirmation that the, the, the uh, Pope would be coming and would be taking the trip to Canada. But of course, the itinerary and the schedule uh, much uh, less busy than normal papal trips. Uh, I think two main events a day with plenty of time for rest. Yeah, and it seems that none of them is scheduled to be more than an hour. We had kind of a hint of perhaps how the logistics of uh, the Canada trip were going to go. Uh, just on the image of the Holy Father praying at Santa Maria Maggiore in front of the Salus Populi Romani, which is something he always does before he sets out on trips, sort of dedicating any trip uh, under the protection of the Blessed Mother. But there he was in on this magnificent basilica in a wheelchair. Uh, that's been a jarring mm -hmm. image for those of us who have followed Pope Francis for a long time. But is that sort of an indicator to you that uh, the logistics are going to be not necessarily a story within this story, but a key component to this trip? 
I think so. And that's something that the Archbishop mentioned a few times, that when he was planning, uh, coordinating nationally across Canada, and just think of the uh, the landmass and the size of Canada from east to west, where the Pope will be going first to Edmonton in the west, then way over to the east to Quebec City. Um, he said there were so many things to take into consideration because of the Pope's reduced uh, mobility. And there were certain um, rules being set by the Vatican, how long he could travel in a helicopter or by road, etc., etc. So rather than... Um, going out into lots of different parts of the community, they have set up these hubs and different parts of the community are being brought into the hubs like in Edmonton or Quebec. And that has caused some controversy over there, uh, Matthew, people who were hoping that the Pope would visit their site and the site of the mass grave that was found uh, at a residential school. Although the Pope will go to the site of a former residential school just an hour south of Edmonton. So there is some disappointment in some communities um, and some parishes that hope the Pope would get to them in this visit, but now they're kind of going for the hub uh, aspect and hoping that those people will come to the Pope in his three locations. Edmonton first, as I said, in the west, Quebec City uh, in the east, and then way up north to this very remote uh, island region called Inquilet. And there's only, I think, a population of seven and a half thousand people living there. He'll go there on the very last day, just for a few hours before flying back to Rome. Right. Well, overshadowing all of this uh, is the question of what you just said, the residential schools, and any visit by a, a pope to any country is a, a big event, both for the church but also for the country. But in this case, Pope Francis has called this a penitential pilgrimage, uh, as he's looking to speak to the, the various suffering by indigenous uh, individuals and communities in Canada. So let's start with that in terms of uh, this trip. What is the mood there? And I know you've talked to a number of church leaders. Yes, when I was there for the week, we spoke to a number of church leaders and also a number of indigenous people from some of the main indigenous communities across Canada and some of the elders of the church. And it was so interesting, Matthew, to hear their perspectives, their experiences as well. The ones I spoke to were residents of these schools. And then to hear their own stories of what they went through uh, bad and good, it has to be said, and then how they are dealing with that and reconciling with it. And they are, they were very touched and moved by the apology that Pope Francis already made earlier in the year. I think that was late March, early April, when a delegation of indigenous people went to the Vatican from Canada. They met with the Holy Father across an entire week. He met them uh, on a number of days. And then on the final day on Friday, he, he made a, a speech to all of them where he apologized then. And Archbishop Ed, uh, Richard Smith, who was there with the delegation, he said he was there just to listen. Uh, he wasn't participating. He was an observer. And he told us uh, during an interview that you could feel the emotion in the room when the Pope was with them for an hour at a time, each group. And he listened carefully to what they had to say. He listened to their stories. He listened to the effect uh, on the indigenous people that the residential schools have had and the stories coming out have had. And he apologized sincerely then and there. So they were really, uh, that touched them profoundly, they told me. But what's interesting is that for the native indigenous people, uh, you know, the land is so important to them. It's sacred, the Canadian land. And they see Pope Francis as the, the ultimate elder and chief of the Catholic Church. So for them, they told me it is, will be hugely significant and symbolic for the chief of the Catholic Church as they see it to be coming 
and apologising on Canadian soil. And many are hoping that that will finally draw a line in the sand because, as we know, Pope Benedict XVI, he apologised in the past as well. So there have been a number of apologies from the church about the residential school uh, issues and the scandals that have come out. But I guess in recent years, more people have come forward and more has come to light. And actually, Matthew, interestingly, during our interview with Archbishop Richard Smith, that is one of the things that um, I asked him. I have a clip here to play you from the interview. And the question was, um, how has all the scandals, all the stories of the abuse, physical and sexual that have come out of some of these schools, how has it infected, uh, affected the Catholic Church in Canada? The word that first jumps to my mind is... Um heartbroken. Mm. Yes, shock. Yes, um, rage, anger that anybody in the church, anybody who would serve another in the name of Christ would do something as horrible as this. Just just leaves everybody flabbergasted and hurt and, and, and yes, heartbroken. So that has in turn, I think, fueled a real desire on the part of uh, the church, bishops, clergy, lay faithful alike, to deal forthrightly with the issue whenever it arises, and then say, all right, what can we do to the best of our ability to make sure these things just do not happen again? And then he went on, Matthew, to talk about the good things that were achieved by the residential school system in Canada. He outlined a number of things uh, about the missionaries going to all different remote parts of Canada, bringing education where education was not before, uh, embedding themselves in the culture of the Indigenous people, supporting their language, helping them with dictionaries. He said, we cannot forget the good that has been done by the missionaries and by the church over the years. And then he tagged on to the end of that, but we can't let that whitewash some of the mistakes that have been made as well. Yeah, Colm, the uh, indigenous peoples themselves uh, have a lot to say about this, don't they? Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because the you know, the media and uh, the international press, of course, have been focusing on exposing these stories and bringing them to the headlines, which is a, a good thing. And the people they have been speaking to, they've been sharing these harrowing stories of what they went through uh, at residential schools. Now, these residential schools, it's interesting. It's complicated how they were kind of run and operated, but they were in Canada from around the 17th century, right up until the mid-90s. I think it was 1996, the last one shut its doors. So they were recently they were operating in the state of Canada, and they were owned by the state. They were owned by the state, and then uh, many of them were handed over to the church to run. So the day-to-day -day running was, handed, uh, was handled by the Catholic Church in Canada or different religious orders. And assimilation was what they were intended to do. They were trying to get the indigenous people and assimilate them into this new Canadian culture. And it was in that process that uh, many of these terrible stories have come to light of abuse, like I mentioned, physical and sexual and beatings. And so all these stories have shocked people across Canada, angered people across Canada and across the entire world. But it just, it was interesting for the indigenous people, some of them that I spoke to and quite a few that had been in residential schools. Uh, one lady I spoke to, Karen Wildcat was her name, and she went to the residential school that Pope Francis will visit the site of where it used to be. Now it's the site of a new church and a Catholic church, or Lady of the Seven Sorrows. But, you know, she talked to me about her experience of being there in the school and she had a pleasant experience and she said, I, it feels almost strange saying this, but when I went to the residential school, um, I looked up to the nuns and the priests 
who were my teachers and they treated me very well. Now, she had two brothers who were on the other side of the wall in the boys section of the residential school. And after they left school, they became alcoholics and they ended up passing away because of their alcoholism. And that has left this uh, strange tug in her mind and in her heart, wondering what happened to them and what their experience was. She never got to speak to them about it because they passed away. And many stories like that have come to light of people, indigenous people who have left the schools, developing alcoholism and um, falling into poverty and so on. But then there was another man we spoke to, um, Elder Lawrence. And Elder Lawrence lives just outside Edmonton as well. He had a beautiful photograph he showed us, Matthew, of him meeting Pope John Paul II in 1982 at the Vatican when he was going to represent his indigenous community. And it's an incredible photograph of him wearing all the indigenous colors and the, how vibrant and colorful they are and the massive uh, headband with the feathers coming out of it. And he's he has his hand reached out and he told me he was shaking because he was so nervous. And you have a very warm and smiling Pope Pope John Paul II uh, shaking his hand and greeting him. So he was in a residential school for 10 years. And again, we sat down and we did an interview and I asked him about his experience. Again, he said, we had a, a very good time in the residential school. He said, okay, you know, if you stepped out of line, you would get the clip of the back of the hand or maybe the clip of the side of the head. But he said, I, it's hard for me to reconcile and comprehend the stories that I'm hearing when it's just, it was not my experience. And that's something I found in a number of cases. Indigenous who are still uh, very strong members of the Catholic Church in the areas we went to, uh, who have fond memories of their time in the residential schools, but then are hearing these stories coming out and trying to reconcile that in their mind. But the one thing they all said and I'll play another clip here in a moment, Matthew, is that, again, they all feel that this visit of Pope Francis will bring about so much healing and reconciliation within their community. Uh, back in Edmonton at the uh, Sacred Heart Church, which is an indigenous, mainly indigenous parish in the middle of Edmonton, and which will be one of the stops of Pope Francis when he visits, I spoke to Elder Fernie Marty. He's been the elder there for 16 years. And I asked him about the apology, and this is what he said. This is where the traumas, the experiences, the negative experiences happen here in this country. This is where it needs to be addressed. I'm, I'm grateful that he made that apology in Rome. However, I think it's much more meaningful. He makes it here on Canadian soil. But for me, it'd be an honor to meet a man of his stature and, and even, to, maybe even if I don't say anything, to shake his hand. That to me would be the... Uh, 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 a, a tremendous gift for my own personal healing journey and continue on. You know, that's how I see it. And there you go. That was Elder Fernie Marty at the Sacred Heart Church in Edmonton. Yeah, it's, it's striking how strong the faith is uh, among the people you spoke with, isn't it? Yeah, and that is something that, you know, is uh, an incredible thing that I've witnessed uh, traveling all over the world for EWTN when you're covering these uh, stories, is that one, the people who have been through very uh, tough ordeals, and when I say tough ordeals in life, things that we can't even imagine. I mean, you mentioned South Sudan, Matthew, at the beginning where we went just a few weeks ago, and those reports will be coming up on EWTN News in depth. But to meet people there or the indigenous who have faced such discrimination uh, in Canada, Canada, you know, at the hands of society in general, but also at the hands of the church in, in many cases. To see uh, their resilience 
strengthened by their faith and they root their resilience in their faith. That is something incredible. And it is encouraging for all of us, certainly myself, when we go through the trials of life, to think of the people who really have had a cross to bear in life, but who have got through it. Um, and they say, because of their faith, rooted in their faith. And Matthew, I could sit here for an hour and talk to you over the past 10 years about different stories we've covered uh, all over the world where I found that to be the case again and again. Um, so you're right, it is incredible and uh, very encouraging. Well, I'm here talking with Colm Flynn, EWTN News correspondent, uh, who has just been in Canada in preparation for Pope Francis's uh, important trip uh, to that country to give an apology, uh, a, pilg a pilgrimage really of penance, of sorrow uh, for the Holy Father, for the indigenous peoples there. Uh, Colm, in terms of your travels across Canada, uh, that you mentioned a little while ago the, the sheer size of Canada. Uh, talk a little bit about the diversity of what you saw there, both geographically, but also with the people and some of the experiences that you had, certainly as, as a reporter. Well, it's. I must point out now, I went to one of the stops. Originally, we'd planned to go to Quebec City in the east and Edmonton in the west, but because of um, travel uh, plans and because of just the difficult nature of traveling at the moment, with airports being understaffed and uh, flights being rare, flights being cancelled, we had to narrow it down. And I just stayed in Edmonton and we went to the site of the former residential school to interview people there, which was around an hour south of Edmonton. But we did speak to people uh, over Zoom and online from uh, the north of Canada and also from Quebec. Um, so my experience uh, on the ground was just in Edmonton, which will be Pope Francis's first stop when the plane flies from Rome and lands in Canada. So that's where we decided to go also because Archbishop Richard Smith is there too and he is the national coordinator. So I won't speak of the entire um, difference, diversity across the continent of Canada, but I've been there a number of times before to Toronto and to different parts because uh, an aunt of mine, uh, Patsy, Sister Patsy, she's a sister of service and she served for 25 years uh, in Canada, going to very rural parts of Canada and uh, helping children with art. Uh, she worked a lot in the prison ministry as well. And I remember listening to stories from her about just the people that they would meet. Um, and again, just with the indigenous people, uh, the tough life that they have had and still do have in many parts of Canada. If you look at the statistics, the indigenous community are still statistically uh, worse off than uh, other people in Canada in terms of their wealth, in terms of access to education and healthcare. So these problems compounded with the stories that have been coming out from the residential schools, uh, it's, it's extremely difficult for those uh, indigenous communities, of which there are three main groups groups of indigenous communities in Canada. But again, to see the ones who are still strong in their faith, um, that that was really inspiring for me as a reporter. And the great thing about EWTM being there is that we often point the cameras where the other networks don't. So for example, right. you know, we're there a week before, we're on the ground and yeah, and we, we're going into the parishes and uh, because of the um, the resources that EWTN has, thankfully, we can go there for a week and we can meet the people, we can spend time with them and really find out, you go beyond the headlines in other media outlets and find out, well, you know, what, what's really going on here and what are your thoughts? We got into lots of different things in the report. You know, um, it's a strange thing to talk about, but blame, who is the blame for this? Is it the church? Is it the state? Is it a mix of two? We asked the indigenous people this as well, which they had uh, very interesting answers. But uh, that is the incredible thing about going for news in depth uh, 
before the papal trips, you really get a sense of the issues. Uh, you're not just there like the other media that will be covering the trip will go for the trip, which will be three, four days, and uh, that is it. So for us to be able to go for a week beforehand and uh, really spend time with the church there and the people in the parishes, it's a great thing. Well, you've been on a couple of uh, papal trips, I think in particular of uh, the trip of the Holy Father to Iraq. You were on the ground in South Sudan in anticipation of a trip that didn't actually happen. It's interesting to try to track after these trips, uh, for example, in Iraq, what are the effects of any papal trip? Uh, in particular, I think Francis's trip to Iraq. And I know you that's a story that you've been kind of following for a while too, haven't you? Yeah, and that is, uh, Matthew, that's a great question. And that's something that my own friends were asking me when I came back here to Rome and we were having a glass of wine afterwards. I remember someone asking me because of just, I was explaining to them the papal, everyone was fascinated about the trip to Iraq, of course, and uh, everyone was filled with questions and what was it like, Colum? Uh, what was the security like? And I was explaining to them the, our itinerary and the mechanics of it, how it worked and how we stayed in a hotel in Baghdad that was surrounded by this massive concrete barrier and that the Holy Father had 15,000 soldiers, 15,000 army men and women were drafted in from across Iraq and from other uh, nations as well to protect him. So um, someone was asking me afterwards, uh, they said, but what is the result of this? When you come back in six months or a year, what is the result? And that is an incredibly good question. And it's hard to uh, say what the result is. But I do know when we were in Iraq, uh, of course, majority Muslim country, most people there are not Christian, not Catholic. And I remember outside the hotel, I was talking to these young people in their 20s, and they were all excited that Pope Francis was in town. And I was interviewing them on camera and I said, well, do you know who Pope Francis is? Do you know? And they didn't really know that Pope Francis being the successor of Peter, the head of the Catholic Church, they didn't know that. One of them said to me, which I thought was very funny, they said, oh, he's a celebrity like Tom Cruise. They just saw the Pope as this massive, a big international celebrity in town. But the interesting thing was, as they were on their phones looking at Instagram, and they were looking at Facebook, and they were looking at photographs of the Pope in town, okay, they did not know who the Pope was. But all these keywords like brotherhood, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, love, peace, all these things that the Pope was saying in his messages while in Iraq were trending and going viral on social media. And in a country that has been torn by division and war for how many years? Is this possibly the first time that words like this have been going viral across the country? So I thought that was an incredible thing. And you would hope, you know, will they see instant results? Probably not. But you would hope, particularly in the young people who are there, that not all of them, but some of them, the words of Pope Francis, the image of the Pope being in their country, even if they don't know who he is at the time, maybe in the future they'll reflect on it, they'll go back and read up on who the Pope is, what he represents, what the church represents. Um, and those words of love and peace, um, they might stay in their minds and in their hearts and that would cause the change long term but to answer that question again matthew and sorry i'm probably going way over time here but when we no, went to malta yeah the small uh, european country of malta to do a preview of the pope's trip there what was fascinating about that is um the Pope was coming just at the same time as a general election. So the general election was making all the headlines and all the posters uh, were everywhere. And then the Pope's visit was kind of second to that. But 
the minute we got into the taxi at the airport in Malta in Valletta and we gave him the directions to our hotel, he asked us, it was me and two people on the crew, why are you here? What are you doing? Are you tourists? And I said, actually, we're no, we're from a, a Catholic television network, EWTN, and we're coming to do a report on the upcoming visit of Pope Francis. Well, the taxi driver, his eyes lit up and he he was so excited to tell us about the time that Pope John Paul II came to their country. So all these years later, that taxi driver just burst into life and for the entire journey kept telling us about how he worked for the National Telephone Company at the time and the excitement that Pope John Paul II was in the country. And he was quoting back to us things that Pope John Paul II had said. So isn't it incredible that all those years later, a papal visit can have that profound effect that it stays in someone's mind and in their heart. And even years later, they can get excited about it and be inspired by it as if it had just happened yesterday. So you would hope that these papal visits by Pope Francis would instill the same uh, inspiration in the hearts and the minds of people who encounter it, whether they're there in the crowds of people, tens of thousands who are expected to show up in Canada, or the people, the countless others who will be watching uh, on television, listening on radio uh, all over Canada and all over the world. Yeah, well, the papal trips have a, a unique ability to cast light on the corners of the world that people may have forgotten. Well, O'Collum, it's been a great conversation. I'm very grateful uh, both for your reporting in Canada and across the globe for us, uh, and safe travels uh, wherever you're headed next. I think next week we're going up to Florence to do another piece with Andrea Bocelli. So we're not going as far, uh, but it should be a beautiful piece. We at EWTN have been given the exclusive to go up and do a piece in it. Mr. Bocelli, driven by his faith, much of the charity work that he does, and he's spoken on EWTN before about that. So um, well, I look forward all that to and your... more to come. If I can shamelessly plug EWTN News in Depth, Matthew. I always appreciate it. I was going to say, you can enjoy those on Vaticano and especially on EWTN News in Depth. We'll, we'll call them. Safe travel, as I said. Uh, great to talk with you. You too, Matthew. Thank you so much. Colm Flynn's special report for the Register can be found at ncregister.com with the headline, Pope Francis Comes to Canada, a Papal Pilgrimage of Penance. And his television report, which he mentions in the show from his trip, airs August 5th on EWTN News In-Depth. The Register has also featured special reporting from Andrea Gallarducci, who was on the papal plane, and columns by Father Raymond D'Souza, who co-hosted EWTN's live coverage from Canada. For this and more, go to ncregister.com. And as always, thank you for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, and I am yours truly, Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash 
backslash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.